This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. On this week's Minutia Man Celebrity Interview, we talk to a Halloween icon, Sven Rich Coase, joins us and we'll talk about all things Halloween, about his show, about how he knows Elvira, <laughs> possibly Dracula, maybe count the count, count the ways, how good the show is going to be. One, two, three. <laughs> Sounds like Jackie May. In a little bit. Hey, that Minutia Man Celebrity Interview on Spotify, opishows.com, wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast and Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. I'm Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable, and this is another great episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And, you know, Lou, we always like to start off uh, every program at the top just talking about what's going on in our car world, anything of note. And, you know, we've talked about my girlfriend's uh, Prius um, from time to time, and what do you know? She managed to get herself on the Car Guys Report because uh, she sent me a text uh, a couple of weeks ago and she said, I found a dead mouse in my Prius. <laughs> Here's something you can talk about on your podcast. So let's talk about it. Um, I have no idea where it came from. She said it was like a baby mouse, but uh, she found it like in the, the rear passenger footwell uh, of her car. And... Um, you know, her car is parked outside. It's not parked in the garage. So I don't know when or, or how it, it crawled in, but um, we haven't found any, uh, you know, problems checked under the hood to make sure there was nothing eating any of the uh, wiring harnesses or, or any kind of uh, infestations or anything. And so far, since she uh, removed the uh, the deceased mouse, uh, nothing has reappeared. So hopefully it was just a one-time thing. It could have been in there for a long time. Who knows? Because maybe it was underneath and it kind of rolled out somewhere or something. I have no idea. But uh, luckily, uh, I have not had any kind of incidences like that. I know that's been one of the things that they've talked about in the news with the um, lockdown of the pandemic. A lot of people not driving their cars on a regular basis and people reporting more um, incidences of, of rodents or things like that, either taking up residence under their engine, in their engine compartment or inside the car. In this case, my, my girlfriend had been driving um, her car fairly regularly, so that wasn't an issue there. But um, I just wanted to uh, mention that because I thought it was uh, somewhat humorous. Uh, have you ever had an issue with that? I know we talked about the Stone Martin Weasels, and that's not that British rock band, but it's the, the real uh, varmint, as we might call it, uh, on a previous episode of the uh, Car Guys Report where they wreak havoc on cars in Germany. But um, I know you're kind of out in the country, Lou. Have you had any issues with, uh, with uh, mice or squirrels or maybe a cow? Uh, somehow well, infiltrating on your car. Well, I, I want to. I'm going to answer that question. I want to jump back to your girlfriend's yeah. car. I'm surprised you found it on the interior. Yeah. Because with a Prius, I would have expected that to be under the hood, next to the wheel that it's usually running on. Hey, there. <laughs> Ouch. So. so. <laughs> that car surprisingly fast. 
<laughs> well, that little mouse is really working as a red. Yeah, he must be. That's why he's no longer with us. There you go. But uh, uh, okay, back to you know, I've hit squirrels. Yeah. I've hit skunks. I've uh, uh, oh, the skunk was a good one. Um, but let's talk. Uh, uh, so I've never had the. I've had the skunk smell on yeah. the car. Yeah. Not ever in the car, thankfully. Uh, the fun story with the skunk was uh, I was driving down North Avenue, uh, which is a, a fairly large street. A uh, major uh, thoroughfare, yeah, in the in the Midwest. Major here. thoroughfare here in the Midwest, and uh, it was nighttime out, and it seemed to be relatively regular night, nothing odd, other than I saw what appeared to be a newspaper of some type or magazine that was blowing and rolling somehow in the middle of a lane. Okay. And as again, it was nighttime. So as I approached this rolling paper, it wasn't a rolling paper. It was the skunk yeah. stripe going back and forth <laughs> in, in in the lane. And by the time I figured that out, it was well, too late. Yeah, and and I and I literally turned him into something you'd see in an old western movie. I turned him into like something that's flat on the ground, yeah. like a, a bear rug. You weren't in the Viper, were you? I was in my Mustang. Okay, with pretty wide wheels. Yeah, and. Somehow I caught him in just the way that he was there for like about a week. <laughs> I mean, I hit him so flat <laughs> that that like even birds and things didn't come. And so eat on subsequent that. trips was, down the down the road, like yeah, days later, he was still there. Thoroughfare, he was. Wow, the carpet, right? He was a piece of carpet <laughs> right there. And uh, although I had to wash my wash the stink off my car, there really wasn't a mess. I mean, wow. somehow I. It was almost like a cartoon. Yeah. You know, like you flattened them, and that was all there was to it. And uh, was there a secret to getting the smell off the car? Because I know that there's different remedies that you're supposed to use. And Well, yeah, I've heard, like, if it squirts your dog, you put them in tomato sauce. Yeah, something like that. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't dunk my car in tomato sauce. I just used a hose. But okay. It, it seemed like that and a, and a good outdoor stay was about all it took to uh, unstink it. Okay, wow. Uh, and again, I, I hit him so flat that it was really just a tire <laughs> issue. It wasn't up in the engine bay or anything else. I was else, just thinking, so. if you were actually driving the Viper at that time, how flat he would have been. Uh, I've hit a bird in the Viper, surprisingly, and I don't even know. I, I don't know if I hit the bird or the bird came and flew into me. It mm-hmm. was, it's kind of hard to, hard to, but it was kind of coming across the windshield, and I launched him off the windshield, and... Uh, I don't even know if he was dead. I mean, I might have just... Stunned? Uh, no, maybe not even stunned. Maybe just redirected. But it was definitely... He put a little mark in the center of my windshield. Yeah. You know, like, and it was like a dust mark. It wasn't like a... Well, it's know, a dust mark, mark or, from his feathers. Right. It was like I, I, I helped clean him off. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I helped him propel a little higher. That's all. <laughs> but because uh, we, we, don't, we don't like to, to flatten him if we don't have to. No. So, um, but no, I'm trying to think, uh, there now, let me add one other comment to that. There is a video that I recently put on the YouTube channel, my car story with Lou that is doing extremely well called the two barn finds, the 1970, the two Superbirds, super right? Yeah. That, that have not. Now those clearly had varmints inside them, uh, for sure. Uh, and they were in a barn, but um, I well, that's where you expect to mainly find them in a long-term storage, you know, uh, situation in something yeah. like a barn. Yeah, I I do know a friend of mine who's had their wires eaten by something. Well, one uh, one reason why that's happening too, and I know we we've touched on this before, is 
a lot of the modern cars, and for some reason, Hyundai's, as I've been reading, seem to be more prone to this than than some of the other makes. But a lot of the modern cars are using soy in the uh, insulation of wiring because it's eco-friendly and things like that. But that's what attracts stuff like squirrels, and they start munching on this stuff, and it's like dinner to them. And before you know it, you know, they've chewed up your wiring harness under your hood. So it can be very expensive and very destructive. Are you there? One thing I do do, Mark, is when I put my cars in okay. winter storage. You dropped out there for a minute, so. Yeah, one thing I do do is when I put my cars in winter storage. Yeah. Is that, uh, oh, you said dry. I'll, you use like dryer sheets or something, right? Yeah, I put like a bounce dryer sheet in the. Uh, I've heard that that helps keep any animals out. Uh, not necessarily to keep the car being sm- smelling better, but. I guess they don't like that smell, so it keeps them out. So yeah. I don't know if it's if it it apparently has worked because I've never experienced any uh, animals, but uh, um, I haven't had anything. Okay, well that's good. That's good. And luckily, like I said, I haven't either. And and you know, my girlfriend was surprised when when she found that. So I'm like, wow. Yeah, I have no idea. You know, I, I know that that mice can get in. You know, they say a quarter of an inch gap mice can squeeze through somehow especially a baby mouse so it it yeah. didn't totally surprise me but since we've never had any issues like that before and and things like that it's not like the dead of winter either so um just something that i wanted to <laughs> to bring up um here on the uh, car guys report informed automotive a couple of uh, vehicles mark, that i've mark, uh, yes mark before you go into that i think it's the time to tell people what the email is so they can tell us if they've had animals in their and cars. how flat they have flattened the um, uh, skunks in the road. Car guys report at hotmail dot com is our email send, address. Send all of your send all of your road, road kill. car yeah send all of your road car information right to that Ro- email. road kill info. Email, car guys report at hotmail dot com. Hotmail, yeah, hotmail. you're going to send an email to yourself. Okay, I'll send you one, too, says Lou. Why not? Uh, a couple <laughs> of cars that I spotted uh, uh, on the road. A couple more. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but a couple more. Um, uh, Resto Mod muscle cars, a 69 Nova in kind of a copper color. Copper, kind of a copper, almost not quite burnt orange, but uh, kind of a coppery hue with black stripes. It actually looked pretty good. And a, a 68 Camaro, blue and white. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. A, a 1962 Corvair convertible in white with red interior, top down, looked uh, pretty stock. That was a neat little car. And surprising how small those early Corvairs are, too. When you see them on the road now compared to what's up, what else is on the road, how uh, diminutive they seem uh, in the modern world. And uh, I remember this. This was uh, a while back, but uh, maybe maybe uh, six weeks or so ago. But I've seen my first uh, Porsche Taycan on the road. That's the new um, electric uh, car from Porsche. This was a yeah. gray metallic Taycan. It's pronounced Taycan, but it's spelled T-A-Y. C-A-N, and it looked really, really sharp, as you would expect an electric Porsche to look. But uh, I've only seen one so far on the road, but a very, um, very cool car. And you can kind of tell that when you see them at first, because it has kind of these like four LED um, projectors in each headlamp, and that's kind of the, the, 
first telltale sign that it's not a Panamera, but it's something else. And this was definitely the uh, Taycan. So cool to see that on the road. If you like uh, what we're doing here on the Car Guys Report, and we certainly hope that you do, be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. It's available online at radiomisfits.com. It's also available on Spotify. Coming soon to Amazon Audible. And uh, for more information, you can always go to radiomisfits.com or go to OPI Shows, O-P-P-I-H Shows.com. Catch the whole stable of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network podcasts, including ours, the Car Guys Report. And that's where you can email us. Uh, complaints, kudos, suggestions, anything you want, send it along to carguysreport at hotmail.com. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. Um, we've talked, and I, I keep saying this a lot, but it, but I want to just make sure that listeners know that we have a, a back catalog of, of episodes here. We're on... Uh, um, you know, we, we've been on for a year and a half now, so we've got a nice catalog built up. And I reference things that we've talked to in the past, uh, talked about in the past, so people know that it's out there. But I always like when car manufacturers uh, embrace their heritage, and you see it a lot, mainly in the European um, sector. Uh, Mercedes is uh, very big on celebrating their heritage, and Jaguar has now gotten into the act as well. Um, they are resurrecting their 3.8-liter XK6 engine block. It would be for the ultimate restoration. It's a brand-new, genuine OEM part. comes with a 12-month warranty, as reported by Haggerty. A uh, little background info on this uh, classic uh, inline six from Jaguar, first introduced in 1958 with the XK150. The 3.8 XK6's iron block was mated to an aluminum cylinder head with dual overhead camshafts and twin SU carburetors. In standard form, it produced 220 horsepower, but the straight port head and triple carbs on the classic XK150 would uh, find another 45 horsepower in that engine. It's also the uh, engine that powered the Series 1 E-Types. Just a classic uh, engine from uh, Jaguar. The new block can be fitted to the XK150, XK150S, Mark II, E-Type, Mark 10, and S-Type. And here's the zinger, Lou. If you want one of these brand new blocks, and, and, and this is just the block, there's no pistons or crankshafts or bearings or anything just a brand new engine block from jaguar you got to pony up eighteen thousand dollars plus the cost of shipping so uh and shipping from england i assume that's where it would be coming from engine block probably weighs uh i don't know 300 pounds or so crated up that could easily add another $500 minimum to the cost. But if you're looking for the ultimate uh, way to restore your Jag and you need a new engine block, that is the way to go because it's made by the people that made it originally and uh, it comes with that 12-month warranty too. So I just think it's neat when when uh, car manufacturers embrace their, their history and, and actually some of the Japanese manufacturers now, I believe it was Nissan, is starting to uh, reproduce, or Toyota is starting to reproduce some of the parts for the GT2000, so or 2000 GT. So um, I think we'll see more of that uh, in the future as, um, you know, some of these parts that people are clamoring for are unavailable and, and the manufacturers just decide to uh, make the investment and, and supply the, uh, the collectors with it, which is a cool thing. 
We're at the point in the program where we like to talk about a car that was recently sold or advertised for sale online. Uh, this one, Lou, uh, I'm not real, real familiar with the whole Gordini aspect of this Renault, but I wanted to bring it up for a couple of reasons. I listed it as well sold, but not well bought. This comes from Bring a Trailer. What am I talking about? It's a 1979 Renault 12 TS. That's the model, the Renault 12 TS. It's a five-speed, and it's advertised as being Gordini-powered, but it's not, as far as I can tell, a genuine Renault Gordini, because I know Renault brought out some totally Gordini-badged, 100% Gordini cars, and this apparently just has the Gordini engine. And Gordini was kind of a, a rally racing kind of extension, I believe, of... Renault in the uh, 70s. This is a 79. So you had to be really careful what you were actually buying here. It's an R12 TS five-speed. It's got a 1.6 liter four-cylinder. So apparently it's a Gordini engine, but not in a in the rest of the car is not considered a Gordini. Uh, Mexican built. Uh, had 27,000 kilometers shown, which is extremely low mileage. So it, I would guess that it probably has more than that on it because 27,000 kilometers would um, only be like 20,000 miles. So uh, there were rust bubbles evident in some of the pictures that I saw. Um, I said it looks cool, but not worth the price. And that price was almost the exact price of that engine block we just talked about. It sold for $18,500 on Bring a Trailer. A Gordini was a, or a Renault uh, uh, 12, R12 was a four-door sedan. Kind of a very upright-looking car, but it's got kind of a semi-wedge-shaped front on it. Uh, quad headlamps, four doors, and kind of a short rear deck. It's a neat-looking car. It looks a little, um, you know, tall, uh, top-heavy in a way, but... I always thought it's a, a nice-looking car, kind of sporty, and it had the three-wheel, uh, three-lug wheels on it, too. Uh, I know that uh, you don't see that too often. My Renault R5, a.k.a. the Le Car, also had the three-lug wheels. So at least if you're racing, you go in for a pit stop, there's only three lugs they got to take off instead of four or five or maybe even more, depending on what kind of car it was. But this uh, R12 um, on Bring a Trailer, I said it was well-sold. But I wouldn't say at $18,500 that it was well bought. Now, if it was a genuine Gordini with all the Gordini badging and stuff on it, then that, that'd be a whole other story. But I don't think it would sell for just 18500 if that was the case. If you like the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we certainly hope that you do because that's what you're listening to right now. Be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Like the program, back to you. It's an OPI show. Legendary Chicago television personalities Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville, a couple of uh, great guys. They talk about their daily adventures and the long list of what bugs them. You can listen to Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits, and when you do, that's where you'll find our program as well. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable, so glad to uh, have you along for the ride, and certainly glad that you're with us today. Now, Lou, this was a story I came across online, and I just was absolutely uh, mesmerized by it for a couple of reasons. One, because back in the day, um, 
we had a 1972 Vega Camback wagon in that uh, classic kind of um, lime green color that they had back then. And the Camback wagon was actually a neat car. It was a, a two-door station wagon, um, and it had a hatchback for the tailgate. So it was almost like an elongated hatchback in a way, but it was called a Camback wagon. So we had a Vega, and then growing up as a as a kid, I had a, um, a major railroad almost running directly through our backyard. It was elevated, you know, a couple hundred feet back and elevated way up about, you know, 50 feet or so. But as a kid, I became a rail fan. And I know that you kind of like rail fan stuff, too, because you have a little bit of that on your uh, My Car Story with Lou when you get uh, for a change of pace. I know you've done some pretty bodacious uh, model railroad layouts, correct? Yeah, there's... Uh seems like uh, car guys uh, who have collections like to collect trains or airplanes yeah. or baseball cards or they, they have kind of an interest in that kind of stuff. And yeah, I uh, uh, accidentally, I'll call it, came across a gentleman's model railroad layout and he said to me something unique. He said, uh, Lou, do you like model trains? I said, yeah, who doesn't like model trains? He says, well, would you like to see the layout in the basement of my garage? And I paused. I thought, basement? in his garage that's captivating enough for me sure let me take a look at it and uh i put the layout up on uh the, the youtube channel my car story with lou just as you know kind of a fun thing so about every three months or so i try to put a train layout up if i can find a great mm-hmm. layout based on scenery and that video has more views than any car video i have Isn't that amazing 1.8 <laughs> million wow 1.8 million views wow yeah, I was a big rail fan. I think when I was in like sixth grade and seventh grade, and I always enjoyed, you know, watching the trains go, uh, the freight trains and stuff uh, on the railroad, you know, that I could see from from the back of our house, and I would see all kinds of different things. But one thing that I w- would have passed right by our house, and I never even realized this is what they were doing, is vert. A pack shipping for Vegas. We're spelling this V E R T hyphen A hyphen P A C. Now, what it was was a way to ship Chevy Vegas on rail in a more economical fashion. Uh, typically, what they were doing back in the day was they had an 89 foot tri level auto rack that could hold five cars per deck for a total of 15 per railroad car. For very small cars, such as the Vega, 18 cars could squeeze in, but the weight of 18 Vegas was still far less than the weight capacity of the rail cars. So um, because railroads generally charge per car load, it was in GM's interest to find a way to pack as many vehicles as it could into each car. GM and Southern Pacific teamed up and created a solution for moving Vegas called the VertiPack. And what they did was they literally put Vegas in nose first. They they drive them up under a ramp, and then the ramp from the back would tilt up, so the car was totally vertical, nose down, on both sides of a rail car. So the Vertipack used a specially modified 89-foot flat car with a row of bottom hinge doors on each side, each of which formed a ramp when open, like I just said. The new Vega was driven onto the ramp, bolted down using sockets on the frame rails. Once all the cars were loaded, a forklift lifted and closed these doors loaded with Vegas, tilting the Vegas onto their noses. Fifteen Vegas could be packed in, door handle to door handle on each side, 
for a total of 30 Vegas per loaded flat car. And you would never know that these things were, were there because it wasn't real wide. You just see this, this enclosed carrier, and you had no idea that there were 30 Vegas nose down on this flat on this car it was just unbelievable he said the cost benefits the vega vertipack are apparently immediate spreading the car per car shipping costs across 30 instead of 18 lowered the initial outlay by 40 percent but it also posed some challenges gm wanted to ship the cars in as close to ready to drive condition as possible now this is where it gets interesting in order to minimize the labor at unloading this meant the cars had to be full of fluids including gasoline in the tank and there could be no risk of these fluids spilling during transport. So what they did is they had to modify the cars in such a way that they wouldn't have these issues, including baffles in the oil pan to keep the oil from draining into the number one cylinder and a carburetor float bowl that drained into the vapor canister. The batteries had caps on the rear edge of their case and the windshield washer fluid bottle was positioned at a 45 degree angle. When the Vega Vertipak cars were unloaded, the crew merely had to remove the plastic spacers that protected the powertrain, crank the engine until the fuel bowl filled, and drive away. And it just blows me away that they would do something like that because the Vega, you know, it got a really bad rap because they rusted out, they overheated, and everything like that. But to go to the added expense of making those changes on each car, of course, GM sold a ton of Vega, so they were able to, you know, amortize the cost of those relatively minor modifications over the thousands of Vegas that they sold, and they were still saving money shipping them that way. But just to think that the car is sitting on its nose and how they were able to totally prevent all the fluids. How about, like, the, the fluid in the in the transmission and in the rear end and and just all that stuff, it just totally, totally blew me away. So I just thought it was this incredibly um, neat flash of automotive history. And it's apparently the Vega is the only car that they ever did that in. It was September 1980. Here's some specifications on the Vega, too, just so we can remember how small this car actually was. Because well, when you see how, it, how did you find that? It was online. And, it was, and I neglected to... to um, see where it actually came from. I just printed it out when I saw it because it was so interesting. And it said, GM stopped using the Vertipak shipping for shipping cars, not even the Vega-based Chevy Monza and its associated twins. With no other automakers using the system, Southern Pacific removed the Vertipak units from its underlying flat cars. The racks were scrapped while the car flat cars went on to other business. So it only lived while the Vega was there. Specs of a 1971 Chevy Vega, $2,000 base price, 2.3 liter single overhead cam, all aluminum four-cylinder engine, 90 horsepower at 4,800 RPM, 136 pound-feet at 2,400 RPM, three-speed manual or two-speed automatic. Now, I didn't know that that actually had had a variation of what would have been the power glide in there because ours was an automatic. I had no idea it was a two-speed. Um Curb weight on this car was only 2,200 pounds, which is nothing these days. Um, wheelbase, 97 inches, 0 to 60 in 16.8 seconds, and a top speed of 85 miles an hour. But I just wonder, <clears throat> looking back, how many Vertipak Vegas went right past our backyard when I was a kid. <laughs> And while we had a Vega sitting in the uh, in the uh, garage, and 
theoretically, that might have been Vertipak's ship, too, unless it was... I would assume they would have been able to get the um, the pictures here to show the uh, Vega Coupes. They don't show any of the Camback wagons, but what a crazy idea, though. Isn't that just the, the nuttiest thing you've ever heard of? Yeah, that is that is pretty amazing, no doubt. I mean, that's... Uh that's that's amazing. I mean, just to think that okay, we're going to save you know however much we're going to save by jamming in thirty Vegas vertically on a railroad car, and we have to still do these modifications to the engine and and the carburetor and things like that. And I don't know. I just I would just be a little leery. I mean, even sometimes when I see like at a car dealer, you'll drive by and you'll see a car like a pickup truck or a Jeep, and it'll be like on a goofy ramp, and it'll be like at some weird angle, and I'm thinking like. What's going on with all the the oil and gas in that engine? You know, is it is it just staying there? Is it draining out, or is it draining into some place it shouldn't be draining into? Who knows? But it's just another thing that I guess uh, GM had to try, and it was a success for as long as the Vega was around, and then they decided to pull the plug and not use it anymore. But just a, a, another Vertipak shipping, another interesting uh, automotive historical tidbit and something that you heard right here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. We have sanitized all our OPI shows for your protection, but you'd still be wearing a mask, as I am right now. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by following the CDC guidelines. You'll be saving the world and also be sure to wash your hands. That's what I'm going to do right now, Lou. I'm going to wash my hands real quickly. We'll take a quick break, and we will be right back. I'm Kimmy. I'm Tommy. And I'm Sam. And on this week's episode of And Friends, we single Handedly reformed the state of Yugoslavia. Gonna be all that and more on Ant Friends. Listen to Ant Friends on Spotify, OpaiShows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. On the next Back to You, we got. We got what? There are things about social media that aggravate both of us. Why were you looking at me when you said speaking of aggravating? <laughs> There's nobody else to look at right now. That's on Back to You. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. You can find Back to You on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. I can't wait to hear it. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. We're having uh, just a fun time, as we usually do here on the uh, Car Guys Report. We've got one of our famous lists. This was a list that came out courtesy of Automobile Magazine uh, that appeared online. Ten coolest or classic American station wagons. We've talked about station wagons from time to time on the program. We had that bring a trailer um, item that sold. It was a a 67 Ford Squire with a factory ordered 428 and a four-speed manual on the floor with bucket seats. Yes, that was in a... Uh, station wagon. Station wagons have definitely uh, been on an uptick in the collector eyes, mainly because a lot of them, because people are realizing they want to relive their childhood, maybe they want to have those ideas of, you know, when we were on a road trip, are we there yet? But also because a lot of them had pretty cool designs, but they're hard to find because they just weren't hung on to. They were driven into the ground, rusted out, junked, whatever, and they're necessarily. Sometimes um, they're harder to find than the equivalent sedan or coupe version of a car, I think, because even though they sold a lot of them, just a lot of them didn't survive. Do you uh, care to take a a couple of stabs, Lou, at this 10 classic American station wagon list before we get underway? Because I know that your your mind works in, in certain ways, and maybe you'll come up with something that's not on the list or something that is. 
right, so let me start with the 57 Chevy Nomad. You know, that's one that you always come up with. <laughs> and it's, uh, I don't see it on the list. So there you go. So that's why we do these. Why isn't that on the list? There is a 57 on here, but it certainly isn't the uh, Chevy Nomad. Is it the delivery wagon or something? Or? It's the Olds Super 88 Fiesta station wagon for 1957. Okay. All right. I so can feel that. I can hear the disappointment in your voice. Well, <laughs> when I when I throw out my what should be underhanded slow pitch to Babe Ruth, it should go over, <laughs> should go out of the fence, but. Uh, you know, over the over the fence and out of the yard, but uh, so that's where there's a little disappointment. All right, so let me go a little more mainstream. How about the Ford um, Country Squire? Yeah, that's on here. The '66 Ford Country Squire. Obviously, the Country Squire was made across a bunch of years. I don't know why they decided to pick '66 as the model year, but it's funny because on this list, actually, this is only ten. Um, there are no um, Chevy wagons on here, which is surprising because I think that, you know, and, and there, there's one. No, there, there, no, no Caprice Estate wagon? No, no Caprice Estate wagons on here. Wow. Not at all. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. There's a couple of, not really oddball, there's maybe one oddball, oddball one, but I'm sure it's one that right, you'll, well, you'll let's, recognize. Let's throw the one oddball one out because I wouldn't guess that. Go ahead. It's What's a 63 that? Studebaker Lark Wagoneer. And now that's oh. the one that had the retractable rear roof on it that would slide okay. in. And that was copied in the 2000s with the GM Envoy XUV SUV. And it's funny, everything old is new again. And they brought that, GM brought that idea back. And I remember the, the original Studebaker Wagoneer ads had somebody like going to a home center and buying a plant or a tree, excuse me, and having the tree, you know, extended out over the retractable. You know, the roof is retracted, so it's st- extending out like three feet above the, the roof of the car. So that was actually a pretty cool idea. I know it didn't work out that great in practice. I think they had problems with rust and leaking and water leakage and things like that. But that's on the list. So uh, do, we have a, do we have a Fleetwood wagon? No, because they never made those in, in, in standard production. We talked about that one on, on a previous episode of the Car Guys Report that was made like a basically like a special GM thing for only a couple of, they made like two or three or four of them for executive transport. But these are production wagons. But I'll start with some of the early ones. The Ford, 1937 Ford V8 wagon could be called the Woody. Um, and also the classic 1942 Chrysler Town and Country, which is also a Woody. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize even today is that they truly did make the frame for the bo- top of the body and the, and the sides of the body out of woods. That's what they're called, woodies. And when you find these cars now, uh, if you're ever going to restore one, they're hideously expensive to restore because a lot of times you have to replace a lot of the wood. So you actually literally have to find somebody who's like a cabinet maker to custom cut all this wood for you. Then you have to preserve it and you have to like retreat it. And it's just a, and they're gorgeous cars when you see them in in real life, but very, very uh, labor intensive to restore, expensive to restore and a lot of upkeep uh, to keep the wood in, in good condition. And obviously that's why they, they transitioned away from actual wood and started using only maybe some real wood trim over a steel body. Then obviously they went to the vinyl appliques at the end of the day. But the 49 Buick Estate Wagon is a classic. That's got that big toothy grill on it. And then a rare car, too. 
and I think we've talked about one of these before on the show, the 55 Pontiac Star Chief Custom Safari. It's kind of a big, rounded uh, station wagon. Rare car because a lot of older Pontiacs from the 50s are rare, and a Custom Safari wagon is a, indeed a rare bird. Uh, I think I've seen one or two at a car show. Um, we talked about that 57 Olds Super 88 Fiesta, which should have been the 57 Chevy Nomad, according to Lou. Uh, one I added on here on my own was the 58 Buick Century Caballero Wagon, which is indeed rare, and you just don't see too many of those, too. So I would have put that on the list. And then a couple other outliers, the 56 Rambler Cross Country. Now, that is a odd, funky car, but it's really neat. I've seen one at one of the or- old orphan car shows that I used to go to. It's so ugly, it's kind of cool. It's all rounded, and it looks kind of dowdy. It's not a real big car, but it's rare, and it's just a, a just a funky shape. It's real rounded, and it just looks like what you expect a Rambler to look like, except made into a station wagon. And then a couple more on the list, uh, the 60 Chrysler Town & Country. Any Chrysler station wagon is a rare beast indeed. And then the one that obviously belongs on the list, and it is on the list, is the Olds Vista Cruiser station wagon. And also crosses over to the Buick Sport Wagon because they also did that Vista Cruiser um, roof with the little uh, tinted glass panels in there, a la kind of like an observation deck uh, in an in an old um, uh, rail car, observation cars and things like that. So on this list, Lou, I would take the Vista, the Vista Cruiser, and I would also probably just for the funk factor, I'd have a Studebaker Lark Wagoneer. We never had a we never had a station wagon when I was a kid. The closest we got was a 74 VW bus and then the Vega oh, yeah. Camback wagon, but never had a yeah. station wagon yeah. as as a family. Um, what's your wagon experience? Uh, uh, we were in your camp. I had a uh, We had a Pinto two-door wagon. Oh, yeah. Which... Uh, uh, yellow? <laughs> say that again? You, was it yellow? No, it was actually that same lime green that your uh, oh, Camback... Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was that. It, it it almost had a non shine to it. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, it almost looked like uh, you know a flat matte color. Although it was supposed to be shiny, it was just a lack of decent paint probably at the time that uh, made it look like a couch more than a uh, car. Speaking but, of Pinto uh, wagons, too, we came real close. I remember my dad and my mom especially because she really liked it after they got rid of the. Um, the Vega wagon, we came really close to buying a brand new Pinto wagon and it was yellow. That's why I asked if yours was yellow with wood siding. And it was, I think it was a 72. And I I can't remember the exact reason why they, they decided to not go with that, but we came very close to, to getting that as a, as a vehicle, but no other wagons in the, uh, in the history of my family there. Yeah, no, I, I didn't, um, some of the neighbors had them. Oh yeah. Um, and probably kids you hung around with in grade school and yeah, got the, picked up the, by their parents. Definitely, definitely the Ford wagons in the neighborhood. Uh, my uncle had a uh, that Caprice estate wagon with a what seemed to be just an amazing back door that actually went down into the underbelly of the vehicle. Yeah, the clamshell thing that retracts, slides down into the into the, the lower win- part. Yeah, yeah it's so the, cool. The window, the window would go up into mm-hmm. the roof. 
mm-hmm. and you watch this this back door go down into the bumper, yep. and you're like, "What?" Uh, <laughs> that was totally cool. Yeah, it was like a magic trick. Uh, Actually, a friend of mine, uh, his dad had a seventy, I think it was a seventy six Buick wagon that had the same. Yeah, uh, I, I can't remember the name of what they called that tailgate because GM had oh, a road name for it. I don't know if this was a Roadmaster. I don't think this was a Roadmaster wagon. It was a, it was white with a blue interior. I don't remember it being all luxed out because a Roadmaster would have. I don't think they were using the Roadmaster name then because they resurrected it in the in the nineties. Um, but this is seventy five, seventy six. But anyway. Um, the size of these cars that were amazing because we had it still had you know the, the 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 front bench seat had the rear bench seat and then if you folded down you know the jump seats or whatever you had so much room behind the second row and i remember um this was a friend of mine who was like in seventh grade he was into go-karting and he could fit his entire sprint go-kart into the back of the um station wagon while still having us sitting in the in the second row and then his dad driving up front. And it was just amazing. I mean, you think SUVs have room. Those station wagons actually in, in many ways had more room than a lot of the current, you know, crossover and even small SUVs that we find today. The Oldsmobile Custom Cruiser station wagon. That was, yeah. Is that one that you had or... No, I'm I'm looking as you're talking. I'm looking online, and uh, uh, that was the Oldsmobile Custom Cruiser was uh, the first generation of uh, 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 station wagon alternatives. Okay, so what year was that? Seventy. Uh, did it say here seventy one through seventy six? Yeah, that makes sense because I had another friend whose family actually had one of those. It was blue. And that had that still had the did that still have the Vista Cruiser uh, windows on it? In it the doesn't roof? appear that it had those. No, okay, I can't the, couldn't uh, remember if it did or not. The Buick was called the Estate Wagon. Yeah, that's what they had. They, my friend had my friend's dad had a Buick Estate Wagon, which had a four fifty five under. Yeah, there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing weighed a lot, and gas yeah. was cheap. Come on, gas was thirty five yeah. cents a gallon. Well, not maybe in '73 or '74 it was, and I think that's when it started to change. But uh, uh, the Buick Estate Wagon, yeah, that's what we're looking at there in that time frame. Yeah, classic stuff. I don't know if we'll ever see a wagon of that size again. I mean, you can get a, a Mercedes E-Class wagon, which is a pretty sizable vehicle, um, but that's you know, there's not a, a lot else out there there were some neat peugeot wagons um 405 or 505 wagons in the late 70s early 80s that were enormous um but again that's you know 35 40 years ago so you haven't really seen anything like that everyone's just fixated on the whole crossover suv thing but i want to just bring that that list to our attention uh just because obviously we we agree to disagree and and disagree together on some of the stuff that was on that list i other than the nomad that's a very salient point that you brought up there there's a couple others like i added the 58 buick caballero wagon in um but I, you know, some of the stuff on there, I think, was was fairly fairly valid. So we'll give them a we'll give them a B minus. How about that, Lou? We'll give them a B minus <laughs> on that list. Sure. When you're listening to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive on uh, Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts, all you have to do is search for Radio Misfits. 
We're coming soon to Amazon Audible. You can also catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Android, Stitcher, Blueberry, and iHeartRadio. Whenever you listen to us, please subscribe. You'll get an automatic notification every Tuesday when there's new content on the uh, Car Guys Report, which is every Tuesday. And also, just remember that any... um, podcast that you listen to on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network is entirely free and it's listening on your own terms, whether you're listening in your car, maybe with Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, maybe you're in the park with your uh, laptop or your tablet or your phone or you're at home working from home on your desktop and you want to take a break. Hey, jump on over to Radio Misfits uh, Podcast Network and check out all the podcasts we have. They're all free and it's listening on your own terms. You can fast forward, rewind, replay, delete, go back and re-listen at any time of the day or night. It's all up to you. That's what podcasting with the Radio Misfits Podcast Network is all about. And when you search Radio Misfits, you can also find our podcast, The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon with uh, Lou Costable and Lou. My Car Story with Lou. Now, that's, uh, I think that's some kind of YouTube channel I've heard about. Uh, that wouldn't be you, is it? It would be me. Wow. And, uh, we're going we're gonna to play, for those of you who are listening for the very first time, the My Car Story guessing game. And that game is where I take three cars that I have videoed on this car channel with 1,500 different cars. And we determine by views which one is number one, which one is number two, and which one is number three. And I usually give the cars uh, to Mark in the series of the oldest first uh, to the newest of the three. So the bottom line is you could video the exact same car I do, throw it up on YouTube, and you'd have obviously completely different results than I would. But uh, I give these cars a little month or so or two months to percolate, if you will, on the channel and uh, see how they come up in views. And then Mark guesses which will be the most popular. And I either crash and burn or knock it out of the park. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see how you do today. So today the oldest one is quite old. It's riding in the oldest running Bugatti in the USA, a 1913 Type 22. Wow. Is our first vehicle that we'll be guessing how many videos one, two, or three. Is that, that an open uh, type car? Because I don't even know what a it Bugatti is. It is an, it is an open type car, wow. yes. And enormous, right? Say that again? Enormous in size? No, no. It's it's actually quite, for that time frame, it's pretty small. I mean, okay. Bugatti was, you know, basically a racing yeah, car. Yeah, you're right. And uh, uh, it was uh, relatively short, pretty, pretty cozy to sit inside this Okay, one. yeah. Not I was really thinking, for some reason, I had Bentley Blower on my brain, and that's a big car. But the yeah, Bugatti, no, I, know, I, I know which one you're talking about now. The one that's kind of yeah. a boat tail, a little bit. Uh, it, it it has a smaller tail too. Yeah. It won't be uh, uh, that big. Okay. So then the second one, and the oldest to the newest, is a 1950 Studebaker Commander convertible resto mod in orange. Okay. And hmm. and the last one is an original. Uh, or looks like it's an original 1956 Buick Special Riviera two-door in black and white two-tone paint. So we have the 1913 Bugatti Type 22 ride in the oldest running Bugatti in the USA. We have the 1950 Studebaker Commander convertible uh, resto mod in orange. 
with the custom wheels. And we have the 1956 Buick Special Riviera two-door in black and white that all looks like it came right from the factory wow. in 56. So, uh, How do you um, know that the Bugatti is the oldest running Bugatti in the U.S.? Just good curious. call. <laughs> uh, first of all, great question. Let me give you a little bit of background on that because this car is worthy of it. So when someone mentioned to me, they said, hey, Lou, I know somebody has a 1913 Bugatti. Would you like to video it? I said, yes, without thinking, because <laughs> I said, well, Bugatti, and you know, okay, so just I'll just go on the name itself. So when I got there, I met Alan Travis, who's the caretaker of the car for the current time, and he shared with me, he says, this is a 1913 Bugatti. I thought to myself, well, yeah, that's what I was kind of advertising it was. He says, do you realize what that means? And I said, uh, well, no, not really. He says, well, if you went to the in uh, France and went to the Bugatti Museum, the oldest Bugatti they have is 1920. Huh. Wow. So this one is seven years before their oldest Bugatti, and there were only five of them made by Etour Bugatti, and only two of them still exist, hmm. and this is the only one that runs. Wow. And one of the deals with that was when they were looking for its next caretaker, because this car was kept in a family since, like, 1924, uh, they wanted it to be in the hands of someone who could get it running again, and that was Alan Travis. So it wasn't just money that was involved. It was the heritage of the car and getting it moving again and uh, getting it done with, uh, you know, original or remanufactured parts to original uh yeah, I mean, where do you does Bugatti sell blueprints from 1913? If you had to remake something, or do you have to need a really skilled machinist? Uh, well, Allen's probably number two, um, but uh, this car's been featured on Jay Leno's garage. And Jay Leno, when he drove it, as I understand, you can actually see him kind of coming in at night, which means he was having such a good time with this car <laughs> that he wanted to just keep driving. Oh, this is great. I'm just gonna keep driving this thing. <laughs> right. So, um, matter of fact, when I loaded the video eight hours later, the Bugatti Museum uh, contacted um, Alan and said, we're now playing your car here in our museum on our video screen. Wow. Wow. So, See, Lou, so now, you're the man. I'm not trying to, 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 to sway the numbers. Well, I already, the I already have it in my head anyway that definitely right. I would think the Bugatti's got to be number one. Just because of the the rarity and the you know uh, 1913, I mean the car is 107 years old. I mean it's it's pretty cool. You're not going to see that every day. So I'll go with the Bugatti number one. I'll go with the 56 Buick number two, and then the resto modded Studebaker as number three. Well, <laughs> that didn't work out too well. No. Ah. So the, the the Studebaker was number one. Oh no, that's that's blasphemy. <laughs> the Studebaker was number one. The Buick Special came in number two. Well, I had the number two right. The number two was right. You got the you got the win placer show there. Yeah. And uh, uh, the number two was correct. And the last one was the Bugatti. <sighs> so uh, the 2,044 views is the low number for the Bugatti. And the 7,240 views for the Studebaker is the high number, and the middle is 5,490, 5,490 views on the 56 Buick. And uh, uh, to me personally, um, you know, this Bugatti has an amazing story. Yeah. And the fact that we're actually riding in this museum piece uh, on the street in Phoenix, 
is uh, uh, you know, uh, un, uh, yeah, you, you know, actually it, were driving this thing, which is amazing. Yeah, so I mean, and you know, listening to it run and fire, uh, you know, it's not just a paperweight in some museum, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, which I I respect. Uh, Alan, what's his name? Alan. Alan Travis. I respect him for having something like that and not being able, not being afraid to, you know, take it out and and use it. I'll, I'll tell you one more fun story with that. Actually, uh, so I'm in Arizona and uh, Haggerty was having. Uh, this is around J- uh, January, which is usually when Bear Jackson has their big show. So all the big car players come out, and uh, Haggerty was having a uh, VIP. Uh, dinner and uh, or, or really hors d'oeuvres or something like that. I, I, I can't call it a dinner for some of their clients. Well, Alan was invited with this 1913 Bugatti. So at this location, which is the Penske Museum in uh, Scottsdale, which is so a very nice place uh, with the Penske Museum with all the Penske race cars there and so forth and so on and all these beautiful cars around it, Alan's car's up front. Well, as I'm standing there, who walks by? But Chip Foose. Oh, wow. Designer. Cool. But Chip Foose walks by, and uh, me having no filter whatsoever, I walk up to Chip Foose, and I say, hey, Chip, Luke Constable, nice to see you. He's like, and he looks over his shoulder like, who the hell are you? Exactly. Like, who the hell are you? I said, do you know what you just walked by, Chip? And I point at the car, and he looks at me, he goes, no. And he says, what is it? I said, well, can I give you a little bit of background on it? Because I know you're a car guy, and you know you probably like to know about this. I said, but that's a 1913 Bugatti. And I should go through the story of, you know, if you were in France, the oldest Bugatti they have is 1920. And that one you just passed by runs. So now Chip looks at me and says, do you think you can introduce me to the guy who has it? I said, sure, Chip. So I take him over and I introduce him to Alan. And, you know, he's very kind to me and he was very nice. Well, who else comes walking up but Wayne Carini? Okay. <laughs> I'm chasing classic cars. You're such so a name dropper. So he walks up and he's like, hey, Poos, you, you know, you old son of a gun. And yeah. he's like doing that. And I said to Wayne, I said, Wayne, do you happen to know what you're looking at here? And he goes, no, what am I looking at? So I tell him the story. And now they're all, you know, the three of us are standing around the car and chatting and talking. Well, the next day, I'm at Barry Jackson and uh, um, uh, looking at some of the cars there. And as I'm there, sure enough, here comes Chip Poos. And there's this whole entourage that walks with him. And, um uh, I've got a little group of people with me that I'm with. You have an entourage? Yeah, well, friends of mine who are car, car people. I didn't know so, Lou has an entourage. That is really cool. No, no, no his entourage. My my people, his entourage. <laughs> so, so Chip Foose walks by, and I, I put my hand up. I go, hey, Chip. He goes, hey, Lou, thanks for sharing that car with me. I go, no problem. And those guys all <laughs> looked at me in my, in my group like, Chip Foose? Yeah. Who the heck you are? Wow. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. He probably has no clue who I am for having forgotten. I'd have yeah, I thought you were going to say that after you got done discussing the Bugatti with him, he said, no, security, no, <laughs> get this guy yeah. out of here. Yeah, get this guy out of here. But anyway, so that was, uh, so for those of you who've actually taken the time and listened in this far into the program, go to YouTube, go to My Car Story with Lou, punch in 1913 Bugatti, and uh, see this amazing story. There's actually three of them. There's uh, an original one, which was the, the uh, review. Then I did a ride, and this year I put both of those together and turned them into one video, which is the one I just talked about. Cool. So. 
yeah, so I think that that's uh, that'll be a real treat for those of you who stuck around. Cool, great. Well, see, that's why we like talking about uh, my car story with Lou on uh, every episode of the Car Guys Report because there's always something interesting to find among 1,500 videos and 85,000 subscribers, and we always love playing the Car Guys Report guessing game. Now, real quick, too, not to take anything away from the Bugatti, but to me, that Studebaker didn't really sound all that exciting. Why was that so well received? Was it the color or something, or the you know the fact that it was just so resto modded beyond recognition, or what? Well, I think the Studebaker, first of all, that that year's a bullet nose. Yeah. So the bullet nose is uh, has this chrome center snout. Um, which almost looks like a cyclops. Well, it's the um, the Fozzie Bear uh, Muppets car, right? Yeah, it's it's got a beautiful front end to it that's very unique, um, and um, you know this orange color is is not orange like an orange, but almost an orange uh, uh, coppery color. Yeah, I know exactly very, what color you're talking about. It's very 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 rich. And uh, the rims were done just right, and the fact that it's convertible makes it unique. Um, and it's just a slick car. And, and back to the point, the point is that even though this is a 19 Bugatti, 1913 Bugatti with this amazing story, I mean, it's a 10-story, hands down, um, the challenge is nobody's looking for a 1913 Bugatti because, well, there's only two ever, you know, two that exist. Yeah. And nobody's typing that into YouTube to try to search one. Well, and you can't put a value on that anyway because it's what somebody would be willing to pay for if that car went up for auction. So you just can't really right. even say it's worth a million dollars or five million or 500,000 or whatever. You just don't know until one would actually come up for sale and it probably won't. So, right. So, so that, that said, um, take a step further, and and the step further is you know a 1950s classic that's uh, customized yeah. is very desirable to anyone uh, who has money who wants to get a classic car but doesn't want to go through the headache of figuring out how a distributor works and getting the carburetors to work just right. So they go through the effort of having the car with the availabilities to you know, be able to drive. Sure. It's a very drivable car. So, so it, it appeals to, uh, people of today with the color and the fact that you could, you know, turn the key and start it, um, versus a car that you wouldn't be able to start and wouldn't understand how to drive on 1913 Bugatti. You need, you need an instruction. Like, even of course. Myself, yeah. I, I need someone to, you need your ride along mechanic. <laughs> You need someone to explain to you how to get it moving and get it in yeah. gear and then how to stop it, yeah. Is so. that the oldest or one of the oldest cars you have on your channel? Uh, the oldest car on the channel is a 1906 American. Okay. Um, but we weren't, uh, we didn't start that one. So, uh, and, I, and I have a picture of, uh, not a picture, a video of us driving in a 1908 Packard uh, that was uh, um, all... Uh, survivor. Wow. So was, yeah, so I'm, I'm going back real quick to look at my list of, of what's the oldest to answer your question. So the oldest is a 1906 American Tourist. Okay. Uh, and then the second oldest is this 1908 Packard Model wow. 30 that we actually take a ride in. Uh, and then the next oldest is a 1909 Delage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lurette in red. Mm. 
stuff that we start as well, which, by the way, happens to also be uh, Alan Travis. I was going to say, that's uh, that's another super high-end rare car. Beautiful. Right? Yeah. And then, and then there's, just going, there's not many in the 1913s. There was a 1913 Chevrolet Classic 6 uh, that was out at the Buick Museum, of all places. Huh. And a 1912 Little Roadster. And the funny thing about the Little was that was the name of Chevrolet before it became Chevrolet. Huh. It was called the Little Car Company. Huh. So, um, and probably, the, you know, right, right along with the Bugatti, you know, Grand Touring Grand Prix car is uh, this 1912 Mercer Series 35 raceabout that, uh, well, of course, you know, we rode in that and drove that around too, which, by the way, those cars don't have seatbelts. No. So there's a high probability when you turn a corner. <laughs> You'll fall out. And, th- and those seats are leather. Yeah. You you realize what your life in your hand is all about, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so uh, I had one hand on the camera and one hand, like, hanging out the door. I was like, Whoa! <laughs> See, ladies and gentlemen, that's the kind of stuff that you can see on Lou's uh, YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. And we uh, definitely play the Car Guys Report guessing game. It always is a lot of fun. And I guess today I was just kind of in the middle of the pack. So we'll see what happens uh, next time that uh, we play the game. But uh, coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Lou is going to take a quick break, and we're going to welcome back our man in the field, Roger Rexroad. He returns to talk with me about modern muscle cars. That is coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have had you with us. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opie is hippo, spelled backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, and that would be RadioMisfits.com. This Opie podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? On this week's Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. If you need help with Zoom, call Jeffrey Tubin. Naming your children for cash. And our tribute to legendary Chicago icon, Joel Daly. Uh, be sure to check out Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. If you missed Lausano or Los. Los Anno and friends, here's what you missed. I'm Rokan. Do you like to talk about <laughs> politics? I actually don't. Politics, the problem is I'm, I have no problem discussing politics. I just don't like uh, discussing it from that left-right paradigm the way that, that talk radio does it. Right. You know, where most of the, either, you know, the hosts are either, you know, very far to the right or very far to the left. Right. You know, most of them are very far to the right. And I grew up in this business, so I know what the trick is. And this is before talk radio was actually a political force in the 1980s. I would say that two-thirds of the conservative talk shows in America don't believe anything that they're saying. They're doing it solely to agitate so they can get phone calls. Right. There's a couple things that worry me about the future. This is, I'm getting to be an old man, because it's like, all of a sudden, you know, back in my day, we didn't have (laughs) Armenian girls having sex with black guys. You know, I was like, what? (laughs) What are they talking about? (laughs) I don't know. 
and this is not against you know the uh, Republicans or conservative philosophy because I I happen to vote Republican more than I do Democrat, right. but I, I vote for both. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a centrist. I could yeah. see both sides, and I decide who's who's got the better idea at that moment right. that I think is going to be better for the future. It's not always the same thing. It's not always right. some sort of dogma. The left dogma doesn't make any sense to me, and no. most of the right stuff doesn't make any right. sense to me. Well, I've always said MSNBC and Fox News, neither of them are news channels or no, entertainment no. channels. Oh, and it's all entertainment. But people perceive it because they put the label news on it and present it like news. Right. And it's like, no, it's just talking points. The Federal Trade Commission should do something about that. It is completely entertaining. And I've worked in cable news. Yeah. And I use that term loosely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I worked with Glenn Beck. I know. Do you I think know. that Glenn Beck oh my gosh. has any... I was his fill-in when he was at CNN. Yeah. To bring this around full circle, he was a morning DJ in Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. Glenn yeah. is a showman. I mean, he's he, he didn't get in this for the right. politics of it. Right, right. I think Rush truly believes what he says. Really? I do, I yeah. always thought of him as more of an entertainer uh-uh. than anything. No, wow. I think he really believes it. Mm. And he's very he's entertaining at doing it. He's yeah. very entertaining at doing and it. And he could do it without calls. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. the point. Yeah. That's what very saying. few guys can do that. Right. There's, everybody in conservative talk radio has a first and last name. That's like the same thing. Hugh Hewitt. <laughs> and uh, like Lou Lewis. And there's guys. I mean, literally, there are guys that, you know, Tom Thompson. It's like, really? <laughs> you think we're that stupid? <laughs> we can't remember your name? Did you have to name yourself twice? <laughs> Assholes. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lausano and Friends. Lausano. Now on Lausano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, returns as we talk about modern muscle cars. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and our man in the field for this very special episode of the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>